You're listening to Truly Criminal, the home of true crime. To see the video version of this case, including the footage and photos, you can find us on YouTube. Just search for Truly Criminal. As the evening winds down in one of the most glamorous and luxurious department stores in London, gunshots suddenly ring out. People run to find cover, worried it's a robbery or a terrorist attack. As police descend on the scene, it soon comes to light that this is the tragic culmination of a disturbing series of events. Twenty-two-year-old Claire Banal was originally from Groombridge in Kent. She had attended St Gregory's Catholic Comprehensive School in Tunbridge Wells before moving on to West Kent College, where she obtained a BTEC National Diploma. Claire was shy, gentle and very thoughtful, always thinking of other people and never speaking ill of anybody else. She took part in several makeup and beauty courses, specialising in consultancy and also did theatre makeup at Shepperton Studios. Soon her hard work would pay off, as she got a job as a beauty consultant in the department store Harvey Nichols in Knightsbridge, which was Claire's dream job. Harvey Nichols is one of London's most iconic luxury department store chains, with the Knightsbridge one being its flagship store. To prepare for her interview, she had written pages of notes, determined to make the best impression possible. And, sure enough, she was successful. From a young age, Claire had loved all things skincare and makeup, and so she was thrilled to land a role like that, and she was incredibly proud to be working for such an iconic store. She was popular with her colleagues, and was described as well-spoken and quiet, with a warm personality. She made the move to Dulwich in south-east London, and lived with two flatmates whom she also worked with. Claire was thriving in London. The busy city life was exciting and she was making the most of every opportunity. It was while working at Harvey Nichols that she met one of the security guards, 30-year-old Michael Pesh. The pair began chatting and he soon asked her if she wanted to go on a date with him in January 2005. Michael Pesh was a dual citizen of both the Czech Republic and Slovakia. He had previously been a soldier in Slovakia, but would be prosecuted for desertion. After working as a security guard at the United States Embassy in Bratislava, he moved to the United Kingdom. Shortly after arriving, he began working as a security guard for Harvey Nichols. They went on a few dates over the course of about three weeks. Claire's mother Tricia would later say, He was quite a bit older than Claire, and he was going through a divorce. It wasn't an ideal situation that any mum would want for their young daughter. During the time they dated, I never got the sense she had fallen in love with Michael. She was very flattered by his attention. He showered her with affection, and very quickly told her he loved her. Claire's cousin Kristen said, Alarm bells went off when he told her that he loved her after a very short time. It was no more than three dates they had been on. 
the red flag just started waving. After their first date, Claire called her mother and told her she felt very uncomfortable. She said he wanted to be with her all the time and didn't like her seeing her friends. She said he didn't like her going home and that she was feeling suffocated, adding, it's all happening much too quickly. Things only started to get worse. When Michael returned from a trip to Slovakia, he demanded that Claire be there to meet him when he got into the airport, as he didn't want to have to take his suitcase across London. He then said he wanted to stay at Claire's flat, a prospect that made her extremely uneasy, as they had only been on a handful of dates. When she asked him to leave her flat, he refused, and was adamant that he stayed. After a lengthy back and forth, she was able to persuade him to walk to the train station, but he then refused to board any train. Claire had had enough. She told him it was over, but he would not take no for an answer. Pesh called her 20 times, and when she didn't answer, he sat outside her flat for two hours. He became verbally abusive and shouted at her flatmate, and he was adamant that he needed to talk to Claire, but her flatmate refused, and he finally gave up and left. The following day he followed her home with a huge bouquet of flowers. She reiterated what she had said the day before. It was over and she wasn't interested. She left the flowers on her doorstep and they stayed there all week. This was just the beginning of a terrifying campaign of harassment. His incessant phone calls and texts carried on, with him messaging her up to 50 times a day. One text read, We are meant to be together. She would change her phone number, but he would soon find out what her new one was, and the messages started all over again. His delusion that they were still in some sort of relationship was evident from his messages, with one reading, It's our anniversary tomorrow. How should we spend it? He would watch her while she was working, and would use the mirrors and reflections in the store in order to look at her. He would apply pressure on people who worked at Harvey Nichols and ask them to get Claire to talk to him. On one occasion, she did decide to speak to him and asked him to stop harassing her. But this, like everything else she had previously said to him, had no impact. He would not take no for an answer. One day, as Claire was leaving work, He followed her in his security uniform. He grabbed her and shouted at her, yelling that he loved her and he knew that she loved him too. Claire tried her best to reason with him and said that she didn't love him. His response was to scream at her, Yes, you do, you stupid little girl. His text messages would also become increasingly sinister, with one message reading, If I can't have you, then no one will. This would go on for months, and the people in Claire's life were becoming increasingly aware of what he was doing. A colleague would say, it was well known he was stalking her. His stalking was also having a major impact on her professional life. She was getting into trouble at work because she would run late, or struggle to concentrate and focus. In March 2005, Claire was heading home, She noticed Pesh waiting at the underground station. In a desperate attempt to get away, 
she ran and jumped onto the train. But he was able to get onto the same carriage and sat opposite her. As the train came into the next stop, she got off and tried to run away, but he chased her and forcefully pushed her. She was then able to get onto another train, but Pesh was right behind her. She said, If you don't leave me alone, I will have to report you. He replied, If you report me, I will kill you. She said that all she wanted was for him to leave her alone, and if he did this, she wouldn't take it to the police. He smiled at her, stroked her face, and attempted to kiss her. Claire pushed him away, and he got off at the next train stop. When the train didn't immediately leave, he started banging on the train window and waving at Claire. Shaken and afraid, she called her mother in tears and told her what had happened. This was incredibly difficult for her family to see someone they loved being put through something like this. Claire's cousin would later say, Just by looking at him, I didn't get a good feeling. He is batshit crazy, and he is dangerous, and he is unstable, and he's obsessed. Refusing to put up with it anymore, she told her bosses at work about what had been happening to her. The head of security for Harvey Nichols was a former police officer, and when he was informed, he took what Claire was saying seriously. He used the security cameras to track what Pesh was doing, and he soon saw him stalking and harassing her. He also spoke to different members of staff and compiled a file of complaints and accounts about what he had been doing. Pesh was moved on to a different floor and put on a different rotor to her, but this still made no difference, and he would come to Claire's department constantly. He was then suspended. The head of security encouraged her to report him to the police. As Pesh had threatened to kill her if she went to the authorities, she initially didn't want to report him. Her mother said she had also been hesitant as she felt embarrassed about what was happening to her. The tipping point came when it emerged that he had asked another member of staff, who was working part-time at the store whilst training to be a lawyer, if someone committed a murder, what would the sentence be? Claire then contacted the police. He was asked to come into work, where he was met by police and arrested. He was also immediately sacked from his job as a security guard. As he was led out, Claire saw him and told her mother that he looked angry. In spite of all that she had suffered, Claire felt bad, with her mother saying, she didn't want him to get into trouble, she just wanted him to stop. He was taken to the station and interviewed, and his version of events was totally different to Claire's. He said that he had been the one to end the relationship, and that she had said that she loved him. He said he had then regretted breaking up with her, so went back but he couldn't understand why she didn't want to be with him anymore. He said that he was sorry if he had upset her, but denied making threats to kill her. He admitted to everything else, saying he had only wanted to see if she wished to continue the relationship. The police took statements from Claire, but didn't take statements from her colleagues or flatmates who had witnessed the stalking. She also wasn't given a formal risk assessment. Other than what she had said, the officers had no evidence of him making threats to kill. Michael Pesh would later be released on bail 
under a non-molestation order, meaning he was not allowed to contact Claire at all, or go to the store. His recent brush with the law had not deterred him, as just two days later, he was back on her doorstep, waving at her through the window. She called the police, but he had fled by the time they arrived. No action was taken. Claire and her flatmates decided to move away in the hope they could escape him, but within just a few days, on the 10th of April, he had turned up at their new place. After finding out where they were now living, she called the police again. They arrived, but like last time, Pesh was gone. Claire got into the police car and drove around, trying to spot him, and eventually they did. He cooperated, even holding out his wrists for the officers to put handcuffs on him. He didn't seem bothered, and was just smiling at Claire. He was put under arrest for breaching the conditions of his bail. He was charged under Section 2 of the Protection from Harassment Act of 1997. Claire's mother, Trisha, said, The police relayed the message to Claire that he really didn't mean the threat, that he said there was a language barrier, and he was upset and would never have hurt her. He was sent to Belmarsh Prison, where he spent the next eight days. He was then bailed to make his appearance in court, which was scheduled for the 31st of August, on the condition he did not go to Knightsbridge or contact her in any way. As he awaited trial, Claire and her mother went on holiday to Florence to celebrate her birthday. They spent five days there, and Claire was making the most of every moment. Her mother said the trip was pure gold. After all she had been through, Claire was finally able to relax and enjoy herself. During this time, Michael Pesh went back to Slovakia. Whilst there, he went to a firing range and underwent weapons training. On the 14th of June, he passed the firearms exam, and a month later, he obtained a firearms licence. He also purchased and registered a handgun. On the 20th of July, he headed back to the United Kingdom. He travelled via coach and ferry, and was able to smuggle the handgun into the country in his luggage. As the trial loomed, Claire waited to be called to give evidence. But then, on the 31st of August at Towerbridge Magistrates Court, Michael Pesh suddenly changed his plea to guilty. There would be no trial, and Claire would not have to face him. He was then released on bail. Claire was relieved that what had been happening to her and what she had suffered was finally out, saying she now just wanted to get on with her life. September 13th, 2005. Since the trial, Claire had not seen Michael Pesh, and her life seemed to be getting back to normal. As Claire's day started, she headed into work. The hours ticked by as she served customers on the shop floor, and before long, she was just 10 minutes away from her shift ending at 8pm. A few customers were walking around, and the store was generally quiet, as it was so close to closing time. One of Claire's colleagues put her hand up to Claire and looked at her watch, showing there was only a few minutes to go. 
Claire smiled back at her. One of Claire's colleagues then noticed a shadow appear behind her and believed it may have been a boyfriend who had come to meet her as she finished. The figure then raised his arm, brandishing a gun. He fired a shot at the back of Claire's head and she fell to the floor. He then fired three times at her face. As people ran to find cover, he fired another shot into the ceiling. He then turned the gun on himself and took his own life. Michael Pesh had just carried out his terrifying threat. Two people were shot dead at the exclusive Harvey Nichols department store in London tonight. Police said a man and a woman were pronounced dead at the store. Detectives aren't looking for anyone else in connection with the shooting. Claire's mother, Tricia, had been out celebrating a friend's birthday that night. After returning home around midnight, she heard a loud banging on her front door. After opening it, she was met by two police officers. One of them told her they were there about her daughter. The family liaison officer then gave her the devastating news. Her daughter had been shot dead at work. Trisha knew instantly who was responsible and said, It was Pesh, wasn't it? The officer nodded, confirming that it was. In a statement, her mother said, Claire was unaware of her own beauty, both inside and outside and the only fault Claire possessed was to see good in everybody. This trust was eventually abused, leaving us all with such unbearable grief. Her colleagues were left devastated by her murder, and they were offered counselling to help them process their trauma. As the investigations into what had happened were carried out, Pesh's flatmate found a 40-page notebook. One entry shortly before he murdered Claire detailed how he was contemplating the meaning of life, with references being made to ghosts and prophets. Also in the diary was Claire's address. He had written poetry too, and one of the poems read as follows. From our love, all that is left is a dried-up spring, yet all we had to do was push away the stone that was blocking it. I have as many memories of you as there are in a forest trees. You are my only love, so ring me, please. It was revealed that he had gained entry to Harvey Nichols by sneaking through a back door, despite having been told to stay away. He had also taken cocaine. When it emerged that Pesh had been arrested and bailed, domestic violence campaigners wanted answers as to why this was allowed to happen. The head of the charity Refuge said... Yet again, women who are stalked and threatened by their partners have been let down by the criminal justice system. How many more murders do we have to have before women get the protection they need and deserve? A few weeks later, Claire's funeral was held in Tunbridge Wells, with hundreds turning out to pay their respects and remember her. An inquest into Claire's death was held. The Westminster coroner, Dr Paul Knappman, said that after hearing about the alleged errors by police, courts and prosecutors, he would consider widening the inquest. 
The inquest heard that a risk assessment had not been done by the officers who had first interviewed Claire, and that she had not been told that he had been charged and remanded in custody. It was also revealed that a form had not been filled out, which helps police establish a level of threat that someone might pose. But it was also discussed that even if the form had been filled out, as Michael Pesh had no previous convictions, he likely still would have been determined to be low risk. In 2007, the coroner ruled that the murder of Claire Bernal could not have been reasonably foreseen, but he did criticise the police for wasting time with filling out forms to provide a scapegoat. Claire's mother Tricia was determined her daughter's death was not going to be in vain, and she channelled her efforts into changing the law and making stalking a criminal offence in itself. She worked with other families who had also been affected by stalking, teaming up with Carol Farrakai and Stella Moore. Carol's daughter had been stabbed to death after being stalked, and Stella's daughter had been shot also after being stalked. The three supported a pioneering new project, the first of its kind in Europe, called the Family Justice Centre. All domestic violence or stalking victims who use the service are immediately classed as high risk before a fuller assessment can be made. The Family Justice Centre works with various agencies and charities, including police and investigators, to help put victims in touch with the right people to ensure that they have the correct support. Trisha, Stella and Carol were also there in January of 2008 when the Family Justice Centre was visited by the Home Affairs Select Committee. If we had this kind of set-up and Claire was able to go through it, do you think that the scenario that ended up in her dying would have been different? I think it quite possibly could have been different because you're not having one person having to assess. You have many people assessing. Um, pulling together their expertise. Together, they also help set up Protection Against Stalking, which, amongst the many aspects of its work, runs a helpline to support people impacted by stalking. Tricia said, Every county should have a stalking service. We need to protect victims, but we also need to address the offender. This is crucial. Unless you have a two-pronged approach, it won't work. They go into prison, and when they come out it is likely they will either pursue the victim or move on to another. Simply locking them up is not going to work. It wouldn't have worked for my daughter's killer. She also began working closely with Laura Richards, who has worked on many documentaries and had previously worked in the Violent Crime and Intelligence Analysis Unit of the Metropolitan Police Force. They lobbied the then Prime Minister David Cameron on issues surrounding stalking. It's six years since Claire Bernal was shot dead. Her killer had been charged with harassment but released on bail a fortnight before he murdered her. Peers debating a law change tomorrow believe it's just possible their amendments could have prevented that tragedy and others. Well, earlier I spoke to Trisha Bernal, whose daughter, as we heard there, was killed by a stalker in Harvey Nichols six years ago. I started by asking her in what way her daughter had been let down by the criminal justice system. Claire was 21 when she was being stalked. She had no idea what danger she was in. Um, all she knew was that her world was caving in. 
he had made a threat to kill. Um, that never, at any point, was that taken seriously. He was allowed to leave the country. He was away for four and a half months. He was given the same bail conditions. And he literally planned my daughter's death. Claire was at high risk. Um, the signs were there. Having understood now the danger of stalking, Claire didn't understand those dangers. None of the family did. None of her friends. The professionals didn't even understand it. I can literally, as week goes, weeks go by, I can see that more and more people are taking it seriously. Um, there's more victims that are reporting it. They're not embarrassed. They're not in ashamed. The message is out there now. Finally, their hard work paid off, and in 2012, new legislation was passed that made stalking a criminal offence. In 2021, Trisha was awarded an MBE for her campaigning work, and she remains an incredible victim's advocate. Trisha said, The strongest message I can give any victim is go to the police. Nobody has the right to control someone else's life. Claire Bernal was a young woman cut down in the prime of her life. The impact of her death has been momentous and has led to much-needed changes in the law. It is through this tireless victim's advocacy that Claire's memory will continue to live on. If you have been affected by any of the issues raised in today's episode, we have left links to further resources in the description box below. Thank you all for tuning in, and we hope you found this video interesting. If you would like to support our channel and help us to continue to make our content, we have a Patreon with many perks including exclusive episodes, behind the scenes, and ad-free early access.